Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm here along with CNN Chief Political Correspondent Dana Bash in Miami, site of tonight's third Republican presidential debate that has just wrapped up. Anderson, I'm going to be speaking tonight with some of the candidates who just finished here on the debate stage, minus, of course, the former president, the far and away frontrunner who has not attended any of these debates, and he's competing instead and an event nearby. There were just five candidates this time. In a few moments, we'll hear what voters in Iowa watching with CNN's Gary Tuckman made of what they saw. Two candidates, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley were the two closest in the polls to the former president. So many eyes were on them, including this exchange they got into over China. Then we will go and end all formal trade relations with China until they stop murdering Americans from fentanyl, something Ron has yet to say that he's going to do. And then we modernize our military. When we strengthen our military, when we modernize it with the focus of cyber, artificial intelligence, and space, when we make sure that we have the backs of our friends, whether it's in Israel, whether it's in Ukraine, and we should be arming Taiwan. You know, Ambassador Haley said somehow I wasn't doing she welcomed them into South Carolina, gave them land near a military base, wrote the Chinese ambassador a love letter saying what a great friend they were. That was like their number one way to do, to do economic development. In Florida, I banned China from buying land in this state, and we kicked out on our universities, and we kicked the Confucius Institutes out of our universities. We've recognized the threat, and we've acted swiftly and decisively. Yes, I brought a fiberglass company 10 years ago to South Carolina, but Ron, you are the chair of your economic development agency that, as of last week, said Florida is the ideal place for Chinese businesses. Not only that, you have a company that is manufacturer of Chinese military planes. You have it, they are expanding two training sites at two of your airports now, one which is 12 miles away from a naval base. Then you have another company that's expanding and they were just invaded by the Department of Homeland Security. So mine was 10 years ago. You gave Yours them was stuff. Six I didn't ago. give them anything. What's your story? And I abolished that agency that she's talking about. No, Enterprise he, Florida, we abolished it. And of course, we banned China from buying the land. Website Not last exactly week. a Go great check. recruiting pitch if you're love. banning them from purchasing you land. You so stood up and with me tonight, CNN senior political analyst Gloria Borger, CNN's Abby Phillip, host of Newsnight, CNN senior political commentator and former Obama senior advisor David Axrod, who just ex- exhaled loudly at that exchange, <laughs> and three conservative CNN political commentators, Elizabeth Griffin, Scott Jennings, and David Urban. We should quickly mention that David is a consultant for ByteDance, parent company of TikTok, the social network, which came up in the debate. Good night, everybody. Why did you exhale so loudly? Just enjoying the great pageant of democracy. <laughs> Anderson. I mean, look, first of all, 
this debate is sort of odd because it's like the silver medal round. It's like the gold medal winner has already been declared, and this is the silver medal round. And now it's come down really to two candidates, Haley and DeSantis. And you get what you get. This, by the way, is being carried out, the same debate on uh, television in Iowa right now. Uh, one of them is the, the whole theory of the case is one of them is going to emerge as the Trump challenger and everybody's going to fall in behind them. The problem is that Trump has such a large lead nationally that uh, it, it just may be meaningless. So what are they hoping for in some sort of criminal indictment and that somehow they will step into the breach? Yeah, I mean, look, he, Trump really only came up in the beginning part of the debate when he they were asked directly about him. And other other than that, to be to their credit, I mean, they were debating amongst themselves about their positions on issues, a little name calling here and there. I, I think that they're just hoping that he just implodes. <laughs> Nobody is really trying to take it to Trump, not even Chris Christie, the person who's ostensibly in this race to take on Trump. I, I don't see anything changing there. I, I, I think Haley sees DeSantis as, as a problem for her. DeSantis sees Haley as a problem. Ramaswamy sees DeSantis and Haley as a problem. <laughs> they're all fighting over the same 15 percent of the electorate. And none of them really have a plan, it seems, to get beyond that and get closer to Trump. He's mid-40s yeah. and beyond. Yeah. It's, it's not changing. I mean, Hope, Hope isn't a good points, strategy. 40 points ahead. It, yeah. And, and, and it, look, they, they want to take home the silver medal, as, as David said, but what does that get you? It doesn't get you much. And what was interesting to me about tonight was they were given the opportunity to take on Donald Trump right, right out of the box. And, you know, Christie did it. And uh, Haley did it, but Ramaswamy, of course, not so much. And DeSantis said, uh, well, he said we'd be tired of winning. I'm tired of losing. You know, still, you know, didn't take him on frontally. They didn't mention, well, a little sharper. They, you know, they didn't mention anything about the trial, the, you know, the former president's testimony this past week or the indictments, you know, none of that came up. And it's clear that they're just still a little nervous, except well, for Chris Christie. Well, yeah, because if they, because the, the, the underlying premise here, if they attack Donald Trump, whatever, whatever percentage they command now will decrease proportionate to their attack on Donald Trump, right? Because they're fighting in Iowa, they're fighting, they're fighting to gain relevance, but the party still wants Donald Trump until the party, until the party moves past Donald Trump is access. This isn't even a silver medal round. This is, this is the J, this is a JV game, right? This is not even for a medal. But there is, there is a way to do it. I thought tonight was going to be probably the most fire that we'd seen just because we are two months out from Iowa. You have Nikki and DeSantis closing in and there wasn't a real discussion around the electability issue coming off of last night. Republicans on that stage had been raising alarm bells. We lost in 2020, we lost in 2020, 2018, 2023 with Donald Trump. We continue to lose. At Nikki Haley, the best case she has is that she performs head to head against Joe Biden better than any candidate on that stage and Donald Trump. That is the message. You don't even yeah, have to alienate the voters by going after the policy, the personality or the indictments. And it wasn't there. The, the electability argument was thought to be the main way to get at him for so long. And then the national polling started to change. Right. Right. And for the last several right. weeks, Republicans yes. have been looking at poll after poll showing Biden circling the drain and Trump going up nationally. 
and in the swing states. And so if you're a Republican and you like Donald Trump, you say, well, anybody's going to beat Joe Biden. Right. Why yeah. don't I well, and that's the failure of litigating and the case before he has because they locked in the support. That, and that was his main yeah. argument. I would just was, say this. I'm the one who's going to take on. Yeah, he does I'm worse. Had to, had but to tonight, what was interesting was DeSantis, I think, for one of the first times, really took on Nikki Haley because she's obviously standing in his way. And, you know, he took her on in ways that he hasn't done before. He attacked her without being attacked first. I would just say, I would, I would just say this about, the, the, about last night. What we saw last night in, across America, what we continue to see is Republicans misaligning on the abortion issue, right? And every one of those candidates on that stage is on the losing side of the abortion question. They all want a six-week ban. So, so well, not uh, Tim Scott. Well, no. He laid out a pretty clear uh, a challenge to everybody to go to 15 weeks. Should, and he's true. Uh, there is popular uh, but, but I, support I, I, for that. I, I understand that. But my point is that Alyssa is saying, like, you know, if, these, if that's what they're, they're – they're, this, is, this isn't really – uh, they're not really advancing the ball. They're not. They're not electable. They're not more can, electable. Can, can, can we just before because before we jump to abortion? Because I think Haley actually had a really strong yeah. answer yeah. on I that. Did too. I did too. Uh, just to second something that Scott said. Nikki Haley's principal argument in the first debate was that Trump couldn't win and that she could. Mm. She didn't repeat. She didn't repeat that argument now for the reason that Scott said. Republicans believe any of these guys can beat Biden, and and they might as well go with the guy they like and the guy they want. I thought. I thought Haley, by the way, just just on the merits, had a really strong night, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. abortion and otherwise. I thought DeSantis had a really strong open. I thought, so if, if you agree that it's gotten down to those two as the, the real possibles here, they both were very good. There were some great answers tonight on uh, DeSantis, you know, was assailing Biden over some of his response on Israel. Um, you know, I thought Haley taking on Ramaswamy <laughs> when oh. he, by the way, Ramaswamy's like the He's like the guy running the ship in Spaceballs. You know, he went right to ludicrous speed, right out of the, <laughs> right out of the gate. Yeah, but, and, but people, and, people and, like that, Scott. Do they, they like it? Do they, he's, uh, a like, I, he's a like four no, percent. No, the the no, empirical no, evidence no, says like otherwise. In the realm of Mel Brooks movies, Spaceballs was not maybe the finest. <laughs> Come but, on, but I like his Spaceballs. This is now. Let's show the Nikki Haley what she said about abortion tonight. Somehow, I wasn't doing. Be honest with the American people. This is a personal issue for every woman and every man. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband Michael was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, when you look post-Roe, a wrong was made right. They took it out of the hands of unelected justices and they put it in the hands of the people. And now we're seeing states vote. And what I'll tell you is, as much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this, there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decided. But when it comes to the federal law, which is what's being debated here, be honest. It's going to take 60 Senate votes, a majority of the House, and a president to sign it. So no, we haven't had 60 Senate votes in over 100 years. We might have 45 pro-life senators. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president can ban these state laws. So let's find consensus. Let's agree on what, how we can ban late-term abortions. Let's make sure we encourage adoptions and good quality adoptions. Let's make sure we make contraception accessible. Let's make sure that none of these state laws 
laws put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty for getting an abortion. Let's focus on how to save as many babies as we can and support as many moms as we can and stop Thank the you, judgment. Ambassador. We don't need to divide America over this issue anymore. So can I just say about that, Nikki Haley, to you know, credit where it's due, that has been her position from the beginning mm-hmm. of this of her campaign for the presidency. And you're seeing a lot of the other candidates. I saw a softening in DeSantis's position tonight. I spoke to Chris Christie last night uh, during our coverage of the election. He also adopted basically that position. Even Donald Trump coming to this place was after Nikki Haley. And early on in this campaign, when she made those kinds of comments, she was criticized for not coming out strongly enough well, at a certain, factor, yeah, at yeah. a certain yeah. point to say, I support X number of weeks, 15 weeks, 20 weeks, what have you. So, you know, now that we have two cycles of basically the Dobbs decision being a political disaster for Republicans, people are looking at that answer and saying it's calibrated exactly the right way, perhaps. But to her credit, she's been saying that. And I, I'm seeing, you know, to my ear, I felt like DeSantis was the one who moved the most on the on his abortion. He, he, he didn't talk a about 50, six a weeks. six week ban. In <laughs> well, after state. he signed a 15 and, and he week. didn't right. talk about that. Really, uh, he was talking about basically some kind of compassionate conservatism position, mm-hmm. which is not where he was a year. You know, the key was saying no judgment. Let's just play what, what he said. on. Oh. I'm reminded of a story about a a young mother who was struggling in Jamaica about 40 years ago, 45 years ago. She was counseled to to not have a baby because she was poor, baby wouldn't have opportunity, and she came close to have an abortion. But she decided to have the baby born poor in Jamaica. And the reason I know that story is because that baby girl ended up emigrating to the state of Florida, uh, becoming a lawyer and a judge, and I appointed her to the Florida Supreme Court in August of 2022. You got to do a better job on these referenda. I think of all the stuff that's happened to the pro-life cause, uh, they have been caught flat-footed on these referenda, and they have been losing the referenda. A lot of the people who are voting for the referenda are Republicans who would vote for a Republican candidate. So you got to understand how to do that. So a, a fine night for Ron DeSantis, but I'm, I've seen him grow as a candidate. I've not seen him grow to be able to talk to a general election audience. As a Republican, I got what he was saying. It didn't move the needle for me. Uh, but Nikki Haley, to her credit, has had nuance and led on the issue of abortion from the outset of her campaign. I would actually argue that if last night, you know, to there's the kind of the criticism over Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, had his message sounded more like hers, compassion, a lack of judgment for women, more resources for women, that's where you can get a broad swath of the country, left, right, and center, to at least come to the table and have a conversation. That's a general election candidate. And by the way, I think you're going to see Donald Trump likely following her messaging without the ability to articulate. He's already talked about it. Trump's He's already been talked there. about, yeah. well, maybe we're yeah. not able to articulate it. He's already talked about resources for pregnant women. No, He's no, no he said, well, let's cut a deal. We're in a, we're in a great well, place. We should cut a deal. Here's the thing about being a, uh, about being a general election candidate. To be a general election candidate, you have to get to the general election. <laughs> and so Ron DeSantis has one thing in mind, which is to win the Iowa or to do well enough in Iowa to keep on playing the game. And that is, you know, there are a lot of evangelical voters in Iowa. This is why he so embraced that six week ban in the first Mm -hmm. place. So she may, yeah, she is showing up better in the polls and she certainly may be the best general election candidate. But it's how do you get from here to there? But I think she understands this is an emotional issue. It's not just 
Donald Trump saying, let's cut a deal like it's a real estate deal, like, oh, let's come up with 15 weeks and we'll do. This is an emotional issue. And I think what that's what Nikki Haley understands. And that's what Ron DeSantis was trying to do by talking about a personal experience with someone. But when she says, let's not judge people on either side, I think people want to hear that because they understand it's emotional. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very different from any other issue they're mm -hmm. going to discuss. And, um, you know, I think she's just, she's been out front she, on this she, from she, day one. I think she's more able to go down this road to, to Axe's point than DeSantis because she's really playing, like you yes. said, Alyssa, for New Hampshire. Yeah. He's playing for Iowa. Yeah. And you just, you just can't go as far. I, I think there will be Republicans who walk into the Iowa caucus who want exceptions or they want, you know, they want something a little different. But by and large, that's a more conservative group on this and other social issues than you might run into in New Hampshire. So you're just thinking about the map and the, and the tactical move here. DeSantis has to get there. If he doesn't get there right. on and round one, then yeah. she's That's left right. for round two right. and maybe it plays. And, 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 and again, the, the question is, does it, what does it matter? Right? What does it matter? Right? Because if Trump wins by 40 or 50 points in Iowa, does it matter? Is anybody, by the way, Trump is not playing by the same game. Right. Right. He's, he's, not not playing. Playing, he's not playing the same game as any of these. Well, the rules right. don't right. apply. And then, and then, and then he wins, he and he wins big in New Hampshire, and he wins big in South Carolina, and wins big in Nevada. This is all this is all moot. This is this is academic. It's academic. He's the Susan B. Anthony list, the pro the the anti-abortion groups basically think Trump is selling them out on this issue of abortion, and it has not impacted him. He appointed the court that overturned Roe versus Wade. What else can you do? What else can you do? That's all he has to yeah, say. He's got the and and it hasn't hurt him in the polls, right? Not, not, it's reflected nothing. Is, there's no diminution he, he, in his. His voters are not parsing out these issues. They want. <laughs> they got one issue: vindication. They think he's going to get nominated. They think he's going to beat Biden fair and square, and they think they're going to be vindicated on Russia impeachment policy impeachment indictments too. impeachment too. All of it. They January sixth. They think they're getting vindication and ultimate, you know, we told you so. They're not sitting here parsing out these individual issues. The only way to get vindication for them is to nominate Trump. Yeah. No issue is going to pull but, them but, off of that. But you know what? It, uh, you, you talking about New Hampshire, uh, I think that is, there are a couple of, you know, he didn't do well in, in Iowa. New Hampshire is kind of perilous for him here because you have Democrats independent voters participating. That. Haley is trying to do well enough in Iowa. She'd love to finish second to have that face off in uh, New Hampshire on the theory that DeSantis will be gone mm -hmm. uh, from the race. Uh, but the question is, can anyone ultimately overtake uh, Trump? If it doesn't happen in New Hampshire and it doesn't happen in Iowa, it's Everybody gets the and home game and hearty handshake, she's got and that's South it. Carolina, right? And she and that's her strategy, right? If she can play second, right, and, and not, then in I, Iowa, I, I just think it's this is all academic. But and by the way, national polls at this juncture, one year out, do not mean much. But you combine the average polling of every candidate on that stage, and they don't add up to where Donald Trump is. Like I think we have to start as a party being realistic about the fact that, short of some outside factor, and ninety-one indictments were not enough. Donald Trump will be the nominee. Tonight, to me, did not in any major way move the needle. Mm. I think, if anything, it just narrowed it to Nikki and DeSantis. I, I, I agree. I don't think the needle moved. Also, to your point about this idea of maybe DeSantis being gone at some point, there's a lot of those people are going to Trump. 
I mean, no, Haley's that's not, absolutely Haley's right. He's not necessarily yeah. well, look their at DeSantis, second choice. I mean, one of the the DeSantis strategy was to out Trump Trump and to run to the right of Trump. And he has succeeded in winning the admiration of Trump voters. But they have Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, look at the right. state of Florida. Donald Trump is far more popular than Ron DeSantis in his own state. Yeah. We're going to take a short break. Candidate uh, Vivek Ramaswamy joins Dana, uh, Dana next. Coming up. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. The candidates, as always, had a lot to say at tonight's third Republican debate here in Miami. The question is, how did their words square with the facts? For that, we're joined by our one and only Daniel Dale. So, Daniel, uh, one of the candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy, made a pretty dramatic claim about the Biden family and aid to Ukraine. Let's listen. And Joe Biden sold off our foreign policy. Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a $5 million bribe from Ukraine. That's why we're sending $200 billion back to that same country. Daniel, is there any truth to that? So major problems of fact with both parts of that claim from Mr. Ramaswamy. Number one, the claim about a supposed bribe to Hunter Biden is completely uncorroborated. And number two, there is not one iota of evidence, nothing at all to suggest that U.S. aid to Ukraine, which has been approved by bipartisan majorities, has anything to do with any member of the Biden family. So what do we know about this claim of a bribe? Well, all we know is that in 2020, a confidential FBI source told the Bureau that four years prior, he had heard the CEO of a Ukrainian energy company where Hunter Biden sat on the board say that the CEO had given a two $5 million payments, one to one Biden and one to another. So a dramatic claim. 
But that, that claim from the informant contained no proof whatsoever. And in fact, the FBI report that memorialized the allegation said that this source could not even offer an opinion about the accuracy of the claim. Now, subsequently, uh, the House heard testimony from a Republican witness, Devin Archer, uh, an associate of Hunter Biden, who said that he had never heard anything about such a payment. And he characterized the claim from this Ukrainian CEO as a typical example of this man, Mikola Zlochevsky, uh, exaggerating, embellishing his influence. Now, as to aid to Ukraine, this again has been approved by members of both parties. So is Mr. Ramaswamy suggesting here that Republican members of the House and Senate, like Mitch McConnell, is approving aid to Ukraine because of Hunter Biden? It transparently makes no sense. Daniel, thank you so much. Anderson, back to you. All right, Dennis, uh, thanks very much. Um, it is interesting, the more people see Vivek Ramaswamy, the less they seem to like him. <laughs> is it well, especially Scott Jennings. <laughs> is it surprising? Just interesting. Let me tell you, that going after the daughter. Yeah. yeah terrible idea. And, I, and look, I mean, it's like when you, when, you, when you become a WWE villain, you know, you have to double down on all the things that cause the crowd to boo, get heat from the crowd. I mean, that's, that's essentially what he's become here. He's not playing for the nomination. He's playing for that role in the Republican Party. That's why he started the debate by assailing the chairwoman of the Republican Party. That's such an inside baseball thing. There's not a voter the out there. Criticizing the moderator. It's going to vote on that. But it's what a heel would do. If, if you look at social media, conservative Republican social media, Scott, listen, this is a Republican <laughs> primary. They're all, they're all calling for Ron his head on a pike. And so he's reflecting what they saw on social media. You look at, you know, there's lots and lots. It's not, not me. Look it up. He I don't know. You're, you're, you're so look it up on your little machine. He feels, <laughs> he feels like if you put into Chat GPT, what would a candidate created by Elon Musk, Tucker Carlson, and Joe Rogan, and Joe Alex Rogan. Joe Rogan, in, a meth, Rogan. in a meth lab, and that's, and that's what you would get. And there, there's an unseriousness to it. We kind of glossed over it, and frankly, I don't even like to repeat it. But he essentially called. President Zelensky, a wartime Jewish president in Ukraine, a Nazi. That, that's just a ludicrous statement to make on national television. It's irresponsible. And then there's just the showmanship and the insult. His unfavorables are the highest of anyone on that stage. By the way, and it's not surprising. I looked up on my little machine, and what it tells me is that his numbers are in the toilet. <laughs> right. so if it's and a strategy, it's a let's, 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 let's go back He's to Dana back. In, uh, in Miami. Dana? Thanks, Anderson. I have with me here a Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, I want to start by something that you said about Iran and what yes. the U.S., if you were president, would do about Iran. I would tell President Biden with great clarity, if you want to stop the 40-plus attacks on military personnel in the Middle East, you have to strike in Iran. If you want to make a difference, you cannot just continue to have strikes in Syria on warehouses. You actually have to cut off the head of the snake, and the head of the snake is Iran and not simply their proxies. In order for us to have a powerful response from America, we have to be in a position of strength. As President of the United States, my foreign policy is simple. You cannot negotiate with evil. You have to destroy it. It's pretty provocative. I mean, the notion of, I mean, you're not saying bomb Iran. Uh, you are saying strikes. It sounds like you're saying limited strikes. But any strike directly at Iran would no doubt cause a, a much broader regional war. I actually disagree. I think the fact of the matter is by striking Iran, you de-escalate the situation. You do not How escalate so? the situation. Well, you've had 100 
attacks on American military personnel since Joe Biden's taken office, over 40 since October the 17th. What we know without question is appeasement leads to war. It leads to conflict and it leads to chaos. And that's what we're seeing right now in the Middle East. The one thing that we have not tried is to actually strike the head of the snake. We know that Iran sends 90% of the money that Hamas has comes from Iran. We know that the attacks on American personnel has been funded by Iran. We know that the drone attacks funded by Iran. If we are going to deal with the challenges that our men and women in uniform are dealing with in the Middle East, you have to go to Iran. And what specifically would that strike look like? Well, we, we would use precision um, missiles to strike within Iran. We would use our MQ-9 uh, to, to do so, number one. Number two, I would suggest that as opposed to striking an empty warehouse, that we strike military assets that would reduce their ability to impact our people. Again, I mean, I understand what you're saying is that at this point it's it's kind of a proxy because, or it's a proxy on Iran's uh, side, not necessarily on America's side, because they are using their assets well, to, well, hit, to hit America. But well, to we, go into Iran well, we is a whole know, different ballgame. Without any question, left and right, we've all conceded the fact that Iran is using proxies to attack U.S. military personnel. If you want to reduce the likelihood of their proxies attacking more military personnel, the most effective way to do that is to strike Iran. Let's talk about uh, the issue of abortion. Yes. It's very loud in here, so thank you for, uh, for bearing with us. You were very clear about your position on abortion, which you have been in the past. Towards the end of the debate, Governor DeSantis was pretty tough on conservative activists. He called it the pro-life community. Yes. Saying that the pro-life community was effectively, these are my words, not I, his I words, that. asleep at the switch. Yep. And that is in part why Republicans and those who are anti-abortion are losing these referenda across the country. Do you agree with that? I don't agree with that whatsoever, number one. Number two, I would say without question, 72% of Americans agree with a 15-week limit. A 15-week limit on the national level would stop what we saw just yesterday, Ohio having the ability to have abortion up until the day of birth. What we want in this country is to protect the culture of life. Giving states the ability and the flexibility to have 15 weeks to figure out the issue of life is long enough. Going beyond that, in my opinion, is just wrong and unethical. And it is a position where I believe, because three out of four Americans are there, and both Republicans and Democrats could come together and get that legislation passed. That would be an important signal to this nation that we continue to create a culture of life and we give the kind of flexibility to states to make a decision. How do you think what Governor DeSantis said is going to sit with the uh, anti-abortion groups that... With the pro-life groups? Yeah. Yeah, so with the pro-life... Are talking about Iowa, talking about in a yeah. state like yours I, I don't South understand Carolina. why he said what he said. There's no reason to insult the pro-life voter unnecessarily. And frankly, if you're going to have a constructive critique, that's one thing. That was not a constructive critique. I believe that the strongest base in our party is the base of common sense. It doesn't necessarily mean just the pro-life issue, economic issues, military issues, energy issues. But it does include the pro-life issue. So Ronald Reagan said it really well. 
the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not insult a fellow Another, Republican. You got it. Well, but and that's so, what that whole debate was like. I mean, well, I listen, think that I, I think, but the, uh, that's what debates are for. De debating each other is one thing. Insulting yeah. our voters is a totally different thing. I see what you're thing. saying. I, I want to just ask you about the 15-week uh, argument that you just made, because no, this was not on the ballot in Virginia yesterday Correct. per se, but it was a big part of what Governor Yunkin campaigned on on behalf of the Republicans who were running in the for the state house. And it was what he urged them to run on. Exactly what you're saying. Right. A 15-week, he called it a limit, a ban, with exceptions. And not only did that not, um, not only did he not succeed in turning over the Senate, he actually lost the House. So doesn't that fly in the face of the argument you're making? Not at all. I mean, elections are uh, primarily about more than one issue. You cannot give the Commonwealth defeat for, for the Republican governor on the shoulders of the pro-life movement. That's just inconsistent with the reality from my perspective. If you can talk about the issue of life in a way that three out of four Americans agree with it. If you can but talk he about, tried to do that. He rebranded a lot. If you can talk about the issue of life that doesn't stop when the baby is born, but continues. You'll talk about adoption as, as I talked about it, and crisis pregnancy centers as I talked about it, and providing resources and tax credits for the expectant mother the, the, you have to make the issue of life holistic. By doing so, I think not only do we keep our voters, but we expand into independent voters. Senator Scott, thank you so much. Yes, Appreciate your time. Thank you. Nice to see you. Anderson, back to you. Jenna, thanks so much. Um, so what else? <laughs> <laughs> we were just, well, we were just, I mean, Scott got the most speaking time yeah. tonight. Yeah. Uh, David pointed that out uh, during the debate. And if you want to go back to Ramaswamy, who's hard to avoid, the attack dog, what, what was stunning to me was the amount of vitriol on that stage against one person, particularly from Nikki Haley. Yeah. She's just had it with him when he talked about her daughter on TikTok mm. and she said, you're just scum. Those are tough that. words. Yeah. Uh, you think? <laughs> but, it was a, but it was a bad move on his part. I mean, he's just becoming... The attack dog, attack dog, attack dog. And as David pointed out, he's going down and down and down in the polls. Uh, and Tim Scott shows when you're a nice guy, you don't go up and up and up in the polls either. But you know what, to, to that point. Sorry, exact point actually, I, Dana has uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Let's go back to Dana. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you so much. We are on the air now. Uh, let's see, where do I even start? Mm -hmm. uh, let's start with the way you started it the beginning of the debate, yeah. uh, you really came out hot mm -hmm. on kind of everybody. Uh, I'm very frustrated well, with the losing culture in the Republican Party. Well, you came out, you went after, for our viewers who didn't see the debate, you went after the RNC chair yeah. who is hosting you here. You went after the network hosting you here uh, and pretty much everybody in between. You say you're frustrated, but they're not your opponents. No, but I think that what I am doing in this race is speaking truth 360 degrees. I've been very critical of the Democratic Party. If you listen to my final words on stage, I think that it's important that the Democrat Party be honest about who the nominee is going to be. I think we all quietly acknowledge it's very unlikely to be Joe Biden. Be honest with the people now. 
But I would say the same to the media. What makes you think that? He's Gavin Newsom. I mean, why is Gavin Newsom flying on a private jet using private funds or California funds to go to China? Joe Biden has... I mean, Gavin Newsom is not running for president in the same way that Ron DeSantis wasn't running for president for years. I don't want to talk about Gavin Newsom, but could you ask that question? He's like the fifth or seventh economy in the world in California. So, So, But let's talk about Joe Biden. But what I would say is, to to answer your question, because I'm happy to talk about my point about Biden, I just think it's true that Biden is not going to be the nominee. I think that most people in the Democratic Party will quietly acknowledge it. Just say it out loud and you build trust with the people. But what I'm saying is, as a Republican candidate, I can't just call out Democrats on their corruption. I've called out the Hunter Biden corruption from Ukraine and the $5 million bribe. And I will continue to do that. But I'll call it out the Republican Party as as well. well. There's no evidence to support support that he was paid a $5 million bribe from Burisma. Well, if he was, that's corruption. Okay. But if he was, but I just want you to make an allegation where there's no evidence to back that up. Daniel Dale literally just talked about this on the air. Absolutely. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence and testimonial evidence to suggest it. You have U.S. senators saying they've received information. The, the investigations are proceeding as we speak, but that is corruption in the Democratic Party that I have called out, and I think it deserves to be called but out in the Republican Party that as well. There's no evidence. No, I've not admitted there's, there's absolutely there's evidence. There's circumstantial evidence, but well, look, Chuck Grassley, ask Chuck Grassley for the actual recordings that are actually turned have, over from Burisma. We have them. Nobody so, has seen it. But, but let's why just haven't talk, they released? And I think talk, I, whether it's oh, one thing I was to say is bipartisan point. Whether you're Joe Biden or Nikki Haley. Release your tax returns. Be completely open about where you've made your money. The American people deserve to know. I did something early in this campaign that, frankly, people in both parties should be doing. I put out 20 years of tax returns. I understand why people don't do it. But that's the kind of honesty we need in both parties. And so that's what I stand for. You, when we talked after the last debate in California, uh, you said nobody likes to know it all. And you seem to have at least at that point made a decision not to but what yeah. I was gonna say is to be as aggressive and to come out as hot as you had before and you just I mean everybody went wow and I know that was the point of what you did mm-hmm. but how do you think that's gonna get you enough votes to beat Donald Trump so I've actually made a pretty clear decision on how we're approaching this race certainly for the remainder of it and it's been for most of this race today I'm not a political horse race analyst. I think a candidate's at their best when they're not calculating how you're building some sort of patchwork path using effective political slogans to win certain groups, focus grouped or otherwise. We're just not running this campaign that way. I'm unrestrained in speaking what needs to be spoken that the other people are not saying about the Republican Party, about the Democrat Party, about the media. And my bet is that that's going to be the winning political strategy. Because when I travel this country, that's what our base of voters is hungry for. They're sick and tired of the poll-tested platitudes. I'm not somebody who does well with poll-tested platitudes anyway. So we'll go with the truth of where I'm at my best, which is being unvarnished, being unshackled, speaking the truth, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. And I think that our bet is that'll be the successful approach. One of uh, the arguments that you made was that Nikki Haley is not being uh, sort of consistent because she allows her daughter, uh, who... I believe is not a, a young adult kid. Age, yeah. She's an adult uh, to use TikTok, and she was not very happy with that. Let's listen to yeah. what happened. I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which was about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. 
And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer. She said you're scum mm -hmm. at the end. Well, here's what I would say is that the last debate, she, I think her exact quote was, I feel dumber every time you speak after the TikTok issue, lecturing families across this country about leaving TikTok. It's not a sin to be on TikTok. The dirty little secret is it's a generational divide. Most people, young people who I meet are. And the alerting moment is even if she's going to talk about TikTok sanctimoniously on stage without mentioning that her own adult family members of the next generation are on it, we're not fixing the problem by just retreating and signaling our virtue. To the contrary, the question came up in the context of Hamas, pro-Hamas content mm -hmm. spreading across TikTok. You think we're helping that by actually exiting as opposed to offering an alternative voice? So I think it's a failure of leadership that leaders like Nikki Haley would rather signal their virtue, pick on TikTok, say that, oh, I joined TikTok to reach the next generation of Americans. It reflects a startling lack of self-awareness to know that Republican Party needs to reach young voters. How about the young voter in your own family? And I do think that that's a fair question to ask about the lack of self-awareness. And it's a generational divide. She talks about a new generation of leadership. You have, I think you, she's on the other side of that. You have very young kids, so yeah. it, I, I recognize that it's different from a grown yeah. kid. but. Why bring up somebody's family member? Isn't that a little bit of a, of a, of a blow below the belt? No, because it's not a sin for a young person to be on TikTok. I think the error is somebody sanctimoniously lecturing the rest of the country about the perils of it while actually failing to set an example of leadership a little closer to home. And I think that that gets to the core point. We as a Republican Party are not going to win by going back into our shell and hiding from the next generation. We have to show up and engage with the next generation. That's the point I was making, and I stand by it. And I think that this is part of my problem with the older generation of Republicans. They say, well, TikTok has some vague bad things with China, failing to recognize even American-owned companies handing over their user data to China and say our answer is to retreat. When people in their own communities, schools, families, young people are using it, and we're doing them a disservice by not showing up and actually engaging with them. So that's where I land on that. Vivek Ramaswamy, thank you so much. Thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. And we're going to have another quick break ahead of us. Up next, the political rally that the former president is leading here in Florida, Republican presidential candidates. Uh, most of them were here. The ones who made the debate stage, he would have made it, but he decided to go elsewhere. We'll talk about that after a break. As we just mentioned, rather than appear at tonight's debate, the former president, a leading candidate for the Republican presidential race, decided to throw a political rally just up the road from where his challengers were gathered. Joining us now is Kristen Holmes. So what happened at the rally? Yeah, Anderson, look, this rally was meant to court Hispanic voters. This is a voting black block that Trump's team feels like there is a lot of opportunity in. We know that Trump saw significant gains with Hispanic voters between 2016 and 2020, and they do believe that they can grow before 2024. Uh, and Donald Trump, in his effort to appeal to Hispanic voters, and particularly Cuban voters, likened the criminal charges and trials against him to political persecution. Just like the Cuban regime, the Biden regime is trying to put their political opponents in jail, shutting down free speech, taking bribes and kickbacks to enrich themselves and their very spoiled children. 
And Anderson, obviously there's nothing substantiated about that, that these are the same uh, in any way. However, one thing to point out here is I talked to a number of Cuban voters and Hispanic voters that were at the rally, as well as members of the community, who said that this really spoke to them. Uh, they were wearing shirts that had Donald Trump's mugshot on them. They had shirts that said never surrender. They said that what was happening in America reminded them of what happened in Cuba. I think that we need to point that out because clearly this message is resonating with at least some people and there were thousands of people at this rally. Uh, the other thing I do want to point out that happened at this counter-programming event was Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders did endorse Trump. Important to note here because of course it's happening the same week that Kim Reynolds, Iowa governor, endorsed Ron DeSantis. And which of the Republican candidates, if any, is the Trump campaign keeping a closer eye on? You know, Anderson, I think they're keeping a very close eye still on Ron DeSantis. I think even though they project full confidence, there is still concern, particularly about Iowa, that can be a wild card. They also have their eyes on Nikki Haley. They know that she is having a moment. They have seen the poll numbers as well. Now, when you talk to them on the record and private and public, they really do have a level of confidence in the polls. But their eyes are still on, again, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley in particular. And it's really about Iowa specifically just this idea that there could be a wild card, the idea of the caucuses not being a primary, that people can be convinced. They're just not 100 percent, particularly Trump lost Iowa in 2016. So they're watching that very closely. All right. Chris Nomes, thanks so much. Back with our panel. Um, you want to talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. He always wants to talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm going to talk about TikTok, so hush. Now, <laughs> I, look, this whole attacking Haley on this TikTok on the daughter, terrible idea. But the idea of saying she was sanctimonious or hypocritical, he joined TikTok on September the 14th. Five days before he announced that, he was at a town hall meeting in Iowa telling all the Iowans there that it's like digital fentanyl and how China was using it to infiltrate the United States. Five days later, he gets a call from some YouTuber influencer or whatever, Jake Paul, and now he's on TikTok, and now he's assailing Nikki Haley and stupidly attacking her daughter. I... The amount of flip-flopping and absolute rewriting of his own personal narrative mere hours after saying something else or days in this campaign is just ridiculous. And I think he thinks if he just keeps talking fast and talking a lot, people won't notice. But the reality is they have because he is plummeting and Haley is rising. And I just think this whole line of attack on her tonight is wrong and it's going to backfire. Oh, what I was going to say a little earlier when, I, when Gloria was talking about this is, in some ways, the Ramaswamy thing is not super consequential, except that it has made Nikki Haley look like a fighter. Yes. And that has been really beneficial to her on these, these last, really the last three debates. Every single time she's come away from the debate looking like she knows how to take it to her opponents and that has really been helpful. I mean, in a Republican primary, if there are people out there looking to see who could eventually be on a hypothetical debate stage with Donald Trump, that's the main question. Right. Are you quick yeah. on your feet? Well, Can you handle yeah. the, the blow by blow? When he said that she was wearing three inch heels and right. was acting like Dick Cheney, she had a comeback for that. She and said, I use them for ammunition and they're five yeah. inch heels. So <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, I mean, Ramaswamy is like in the single digit, so it doesn't matter in that respect. But it has, I think, in some ways helped. Well, I'll tell you something. He said that he's not a a horse race analyst, (laughs) Uh, but he actually 
is kind of a weather vane. You know, in politics, Mario Cuomo once said in cowboy movies, uh, no one shoots backwards. Uh, He was going after her for a reason. He knows that she's the one who's moving up. I mean, one of the things you look for in this debate is, in these debates, is who's taking the most incoming. And the the person who's taking the most incoming is the person who's moving. And she took a lot of incoming. But she looked good as a result of it. And he looked... Terrible. So it well, so it backfired yeah. on him. I mean, he didn't only criticize her her daughter. He didn't really criticize her daughter. He criticized her motherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, pay attention yeah. to what's going on at home. Really and I think that's what well, he, really touched a nerve. Yeah, he was after all the all the Republican women tonight. He was after Haley unshunned, by the way. He was after <laughs> Rana. He was after Rana <laughs> right out of the gate. And then Kristen and, Wilson. And, and, by, and, and in our in our in our interview with Dana, you know, he's here. Uh, the Republican culture of losing under Rana. Well, who appointed Rana? Donald Trump. Right. Who was the president during all these election cycles? Donald Trump. But he didn't have the courage to say that. So he's up after Rana, but he has nothing for the guy who appointed her and then backed her for her current term. Come but on. I do think Vivek is sort of this creation of the Donald Trump MAGA era where you are going to see these mini versions of Trump. But to date, and I'm knocking on wood that this is the case, they've not been able to gain steam and a following in the way that Donald Trump has. He does have this sort of cachet and value to him, this celebrity status that allows him to be a bully, to name call, to say things that make women roll their eyes and wish that he wouldn't say them. With Vivek, it's had the opposite effect. And I said it from the first time he came out. We, it was sort of a Rorschach test. Some men were like, you know, some populist right men were like, that was pretty powerful. Republican women hated it. Mm. He did not appeal to them. His numbers went down with them, and he's precipitously declined. Can I I just say one thing uh, that we we probably should have said right at the beginning? Uh, There was some discussion uh, before all these debates began about whether Trump was doing the right thing by not coming (laughs) and so on. I mean, that has turned out to be a brilliant strategic move because he rightly knew that, first of all, if he were there, then there would be a much larger audience. Secondly, he would draw all the fire. And he knew if he wasn't there, there would be smaller audiences and they'd spend their time going after each other. And that's exactly what they don't go after him. Yeah. But you know what? It's going to be a real rude awakening, I think, for this country when Donald Trump really is front and center. He, He will be on some kind of stage. But what he is going to talk about is so different from what was discussed for two hours on this debate stage. People, I think, are going to be really shocked uh, by just the retroactive nature of everything that he talks about at these rallies. It is all vengeance. It is yeah, but there'll all be a debate at some point. Right? It, is all, I think it is not any of this policy yeah. stuff. All of this policy stuff is, is great and interesting, but that's not what Trump is going to be doing. Just add, we'll have more reaction to what the candidates said this evening, including from a group of Republican voters in Iowa. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. It is 
just about 11 p.m. here in New York and in Miami, where the third Republican presidential debate is now in the books. Five candidates this time, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, the two leading contender, contenders to Donald Trump, getting the most attention. Vivek Ramaswamy again tonight made his presence known. <laughs> That's one way of saying it. Uh, Who we'll watched the first two <laughs> debates? Uh, voters in Iowa were watching the debates this time. First, more of the action from the debate stage tonight. Governor Ron DeSantis having this to say about the former president for not taking part. Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. Let's go now to CNN's Gary Tuckman, who watched this debate as he has for all three with voters in Nevada, Iowa. Gary? Anderson, we're just 68 days away from the first in the nation Iowa caucuses. And because of that, we've come to Iowa for all three of the debates to talk to loyal Republicans about the debates. And these are some of those loyal Republicans. This is Nevada, Iowa. This is the county seat of Story County, right in the middle of the state of Iowa. And we have come here each of the debates to see what's changed or what hasn't changed after each of these debates. So I'm gonna ask you who you think did best in this debate, but first I wanna ask you just a one sentence headline. If you were going home and telling someone about this debate, what would you say in one sentence? What would your headline be in a newspaper? I like this debate much more than the first two and I'd love to see the differences enunciated between the candidates this time. Uh, calm, controlled, and informative. Uh, character counts over name calling, and four out of five of people on the stage I could see being in the White House. Foreign policy takes center stage. Uh, unlike the Democrats, the topics were sane, reasonable, and had reasonable consideration. Second row? Not really a debate, more of just a stru structured discussion. GOP stands in solidarity and support of Israel. A much more civil debate tonight. Trump won another one. Because he wasn't there. That's right. Up there? I appreciate Ramaswamy bringing up nuclear as a medium for America's energy dominance. Yes? They all mentioned the need for a larger U.S. Navy fleet. None of them mentioned the need for a larger U.S. merchant marine fleet to provide the needed logistic support if they have a war event. That's a long headline, but okay. <laughs> More substance, less spectacle. Third time's a charm. All right, third time's a charm. So we're going to talk about the three times. The first time we were here, most of you said that Ramaswamy won, quote-unquote, won the debate. The second debate, most of you said DeSantis did. Haley came in second both times. So my question is, who do you think, quote-unquote again, won the debate? It's not scientific, but we've been with you three times now. I'm going to do an alphabetical order. Who thinks Christie won the debate? And zero. Who thinks DeSantis won the debate? One, two, three, four. Who thinks Haley won the debate? One, two, three, four, five, six. Who thinks Ramaswamy won the debate? One, two, three. Who thinks Scott won the debate? So Nikki Haley, who's coming second for the first two debates among this crowd in Story County, has come in first this time. Who picked Haley again? Raise your hand. Let me ask you, why do you think she won? 
I think she was attacked by people, and that means that they fear her. And I think she's strong, and she reacted appropriately, and she's, she's not a pushover. But Parker, he's the mayor here of Nevada. Why do you think she won? I think with foreign policy being center stage, it really plays into her strengths, and they spent a lot of time on that topic. And we saw her go toe-to-toe -to -toe with tyrants of the UN, and you can see her doing that as president. Jeff, who did you pick? Uh, Nikki Haley. Why do you think she won? Uh, same reason. Uh, with all that's going on in the world, foreign policy is forefront in everybody's mind. Being a UN ambassador, she's got the most experience of all of them, and um, I think that, that it played into her strengths. Who picked DeSantis? Why do you think DeSantis won? Uh, well, unlike the other candidates, he's, uh, aside from Scott, he actually holds office right now, and that office is in the executive branch. So everybody else says what they would do or what they did 10 years ago. DeSantis says what he's doing now and what he's going to be doing once he changes that position. Who picked Ramaswamy? Okay. Why do you think Ramaswamy won? And by the way, I think you were referring to Ramaswamy when you said four out of five people are qualified to be president? That's correct. Okay. How, why do you differ from him? I think he wasn't afraid to speak his mind, and I felt like everybody else was kind of in, in sync with each other and didn't really vary as much as he did, and he just wasn't afraid to go against the grain. Okay, now 13 people here. 12 of you voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election. This gentleman in the upper left used to be a Democrat. He just changed his registration to Republican, so he didn't vote for Trump. You didn't vote for Biden, though, either, right? That's correct. Who'd you vote for four years ago? I voted for Andrew Yang. Okay, you voted for Yang. So. All of you, 12 of you, 12 of the 13 voted for Trump. How many of you are ready to vote for Donald Trump right now in the caucuses? How many of you will caucus for Trump? Just two. So 12 of you voted for Donald Trump for president, but only two of you are ready to caucus for him. Why is that? Who wants to speak about that? Why aren't you ready to support I, I Trump? A, I, okay, I like, the, I like the Donald. He's not perfect. But I think it's possible if he gets felonies that the Democrats are going to take him off the ballot. And so we need DeSantis as our backup plan. What about you? How come you're not ready to vote for Trump? Not the same reason. I'm afraid of his uh, legal status, and I don't think that he would... I think he could win, but I don't think he would win. So you're afraid he might end up in prison? At least off the ballot because of legal issues. Okay. I want to tell all of you, thank you for talking to me. Are any of you closer to voting for somebody who you didn't come in for, knowing who you'd vote for because of this debate. You're closer. Closer to who? Well, I was a big fan of Mike Pence, and obviously that changed. But, so uh, you were closer to voting for Haley? I am, yeah. And you? I think I'm closer to DeSantis. To DeSantis. I want to thank all of you for talking with us. It's been a pleasure being with you again. Anderson, the winner today, in this group at least, Nikki Haley, that is the story in Story County, Iowa. Yeah. Back to you. It's great to hear from the same folks uh, each night. It's really, th th uh, thank them. Thank you very much, Gary. Back with the panel, joining us, CNN political commentator, former Obama senior, uh, special advisor, Van Jones. Van, we haven't heard from you tonight. What'd you make of? Uh, I, th I thought uh, Nikki Haley gave a master class on foreign policy. I thought she gave a master class, uh, class on abortion. Um, if you just took those two clips, uh, you could teach a course on political c communication, conversation, uh, she's a force. Uh, she's a force. Um, I also thought you know, they, uh, Israel was, was mentioned. Uh, I thought the Republican Party uh, took advantage of some of the disarray in the Democratic Party and stuck up for Jewish kids who were you know, scared to leave their dorm rooms and, and all that kind of stuff and came very, very forcefully uh, saying that Jewish kids shouldn't be scared to, lose their, to leave their dorm rooms in this country. And I thought that was an important 
uh, 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 development uh, in the conversation overall? I think that, uh, and listening to the focus group, they saw Nikki Haley as a fighter. Mm -hmm. And uh, Republicans like fighters, as we know, they think Donald Trump is a fighter. For instance. Uh, Right. And so she had to fight tonight because everybody was attacking her. But I also want to add something else is that, and, and this was also mentioned in the focus group, this was a substantive debate also. And, you know, Haley and Christie were talking about raising the retirement age, uh, which uh, Donald Trump has said, you know, he'd never do that. They're talking about foreign policy, Ukraine, Israel. And so I think I think the focus group kind of appreciated that. Van, I wanted to hear them on the issue. I think you're calling out the uh, the debate and conversation on Israel and anti-Semitism is right on. Haley actually mentioned the things that are going on on college campuses in her opening statement, yeah. which I thought was smart. Uh, she didn't quite make the connection, but Republicans have made the connection that, you know, Joe Biden's whole presidential campaign was based on Charlottesville and what happened there. And now we're having 100 Charlottesvilles a day on campuses all over this country. And the left is your word, disarray. I totally agree with you. And, you know, Jewish voters normally break for Democrats in these presidential campaigns. I think these Republicans got it right tonight, and I think the Republican Party has a chance here to be on the correct side of this morally and politically. And you heard that from all the candidates. Haley kind of got the ball rolling, but uh, I I was pleased to see the solidarity on that stage in support of Israel. Let's actually play that uh, sound from Nikki Haley. What makes me so angry is not only do you have the kids barricaded in the library, they've said they were going to shoot up the kosher dining hall. You've got kids' dorm rooms who are being set on fire because they have something related to Israel on their doors. No person should ever feel in danger like this. And this is what I would say about our college presidents, is if the KKK were doing this, Every college president would be up in arms. This is no different. You should treat it exactly the same. Anti-Semitism is just as awful as racism. And we've got to make sure they're protected. And for everybody that's protesting on these college campuses in favor of Hamas, let me remind you something. Hamas said death to Israel and death to America. They hate and would kill you too. Just a masterclass of an, of an answer there. And she, she brings a knowledge and she brings a sobriety to the way that she is able to handle world events. Um, I think what we've seen in recent weeks, even since, frankly, the last debate, has a sobering effect on the conversation tonight, at least for the serious characters on the stage, whether it's the war in Israel, developments in Ukraine, and then, of course, just what we're seeing domestically with the massive rise of anti-Semitism as well as Islamophobia. And I think that what she emerged as is somebody who she's not going to need to get up to speed. As UN ambassador, as a governor, as somebody who's served, she knows how to address these issues on day one. The other thing, to Gloria's point, that I think made her, to me, the winner of the night is In this hypothetical situation that we may ever see Donald Trump and another Republican on a debate stage, Nikki Haley would be the best prepared to actually take him on. She can be bullied, but she can clap back at somebody. She's got a strength to her that I don't think we've really seen in any of the other candidates. And Alyssa, but what what did the polling say last night, the CNN polling? What had Trump uh, the projected? Well, well, is Trump capable of standing up and being a good world leader? I mean, surprisingly, I think you comment on this, right? The polling was very strong for Americans think Trump is very strong, a very strong leader uh, internationally and perceived as such. So 
Uh, well, while she comes out swinging there, it may not make that much of a difference against Donald Trump on a one-on-one. Okay, can I say one, one other thing I, I think that I, I thought was interesting? Uh, the focus on fentanyl. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time in the middle of the country, uh, purple states, red counties. Uh, it, it's a pain point out there. Mm. And I think the Republican Party, now their, their approach is sort of like have a trade war with China over it and a shooting war with Mexico over it. So I, th- I think some of the policy prescriptions are a little bit bizarre. But there's real pain out there on that point. Um, there, are, there are too many funerals. I lost one of my closest friends uh, to, to a fentanyl overdose. It's devastating. Uh, you never get over it because it just doesn't make sense. Somebody is here today and they are gone tomorrow. Oh. And, 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 and I've got a kid in college. Luckily, as best I can tell, he's a pretty good kid. But he says, you know, kids are out there doing all kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can smoke a, a, a joint that's laced with, with fentanyl oh, these well, days and not know it until you hit the ground. Yeah, like, and, and, so, and so Vivek did make that point. Yeah, he did make yeah. that point correctly. He said it, it doesn't even have it's not even, you know, illegal narcotics. It's, it's people they're, they're, they're getting into counterfeit uh, drugs that are made and, and, sl- and, and smuggled in the United States. And so it is a form of bioterrorism that people are being killed by. By fentanyl. It's not just so, kids smoking drugs. I think a and, lot of them were take, strong on that issue. Yeah. All so, of them. So, yeah. I'm, so from, a, from a party perspective, as a Democrat, just trying to figure out what, what are we going to be looking at going forward? Um, you know, it seems to me that some of these issues that they touched on, they were in agreement on, so therefore we don't have to debate them. I think Democrats should be paying close attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I do think uh, it's very important. We can disagree about what's going on in terms of foreign policy and what the Israeli government is doing. We can disagree about stuff over there. We can't disagree about stuff here. We can't have hate here. Uh, we can't have people afraid here. We can't have uh, Jewish parents afraid to drop their kids off at the JCC uh, here. And so uh, and if you let that become a partisan divide, I think that's very, very dumb on the part of Democrats. It should not be hard for Democrats to stand up to hate here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's I, th- I think, a, a you know, important I, takeaway. I, f- I feel very personally about this issue for a lot of reasons. So I think that, you know, I'm horrified by what we've seen. Yeah. But it is important, I mean, that, that, we, uh, that we do attack hate in every form. And this, you know, we, we had the, 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 not to touch on Iran, but the TikTok discussion before. What's going on on social media right now is really alarming. And it's not designed to, it's not a righteous attempt to contain people's anger. It's meant to inflame it. Yeah. And uh, so, I, you know, when you say, and I know what you mean, I, I know you're genuine when you say, I'm glad to see Republicans on that side, but I hope we don't just view this as a tactical advantage, and that we recognize that hate is is on the march, yeah. and against, and it, against, in a lot against, of different forms against, against Muslims, I, against Jews, against everybody. Well, I, I don't I don't view it just as a tactical advantage. I believe in the old Abraham Lincoln phrase: "Right makes might." In this case, and I think if the Republicans are right on this, and condemning the anti-Semitism and the absolute. Uh, explosion of hate against Jewish people and Israel that we're seeing in cities and on college campuses all over this country. I think that's where most Americans are. And I think the, and I think the left is tied up in knots over this because of what they see out of the, the young progressive base in the democratic party. They don't know what to do with it. They're attacking Joe Biden. I know. If, the I DSA, yeah. if I could add to that, because I think I know we were all quick to call out when we did see a rise in far right extremism, even neo-Nazism, Donald Trump, you know, sitting down with an individual whose name I don't even want to echo. That element does exist on the far right. I am stunned by how prevalent an anti-Semitic element exists on the far left. And I think we are seeing it rapidly in real time following the 
tragedy and the terrorism of October 7th. And Democrats, the whole country needs to get their hands around it, but Democrats have to. I spoke today on my other show to former Secretary Hillary Clinton, who gave a nuanced, thoughtful defense of Israel's right to defend itself. And she was booed by a number of young people in the audience who seemed to fundamentally not even understand Israel's right to exist. We are failing a generation of young people in this country. Yes. Gonna, uh, let's go to, back to Dana in Miami. Dana? Landerson, as you and the panel there were discussing before the, va- the break, Vivek Ramaswamy tonight called out Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel on the party's bad electoral performance over the years. Quoting him now, he said, we've become a party of losers at the end of the day. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. He said we got trounced last night in 2023, and I think we have to have accountability in our party. Again, that was Vivek Ramaswamy earlier tonight. I spoke with Ronna McDaniel about it just a few moments ago. I have to ask you first about what Vivek Ramaswamy said. He went after you personally. He did. I'm not going to do that. I'm always going to focus on the Democrats. I will say this, Dana. This Republican on Republican infighting, I'm not running for president, so I'm not in this primary, isn't helping our party. We lost races in 2022 because of vitriol within our party. We need every Republican and then some to win elections. And the Republican voters want to hear us talk about the border, fentanyl, Israel, our kids, crime, inflation, and they want to see us take on Joe Biden. I understand that, but he it, he was criticizing you personally, but he was also criticizing the notion of having a debate with somebody other than a conservative media outlet. I stand by our choice to go with a a non-conservative media outlet. I think NBC did a great job. Hugh Hewitt and Salem Radio, a conservative outlet, was part of that. But I'll also say this, 42% of our country is independent. We're not going to win elections if we sit in an echo chamber of of Republican media and don't talk to other voters about these issues. Tonight, people, maybe for the first time watching NBC, heard that 75,000 people died of fentanyl last year. Maybe they learned things about our party that they hadn't heard and took a look at one of our candidates and said, maybe I'm gonna vote for them. That's what we have to do as a party. And if you can't take a tough question, then you probably shouldn't be running for president. I have to ask you about what happened yesterday. Yes. Uh, You won in Mississippi, but had a tough loss in Kentucky. Uh, Virginia lost both houses of the state legislature in a a night where Republicans thought maybe you would sweep. Uh, And of course, in Ohio, lost the, uh, the measure that allowed for abortion to happen as part of the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, the RNC is a federal committee, so we're House, Senate, presidential, mm-hmm. so we're not as involved in but, state but races. Said, I totally but I'll, get I'll that. give you a feel what I think. And Dana, you've heard me say this on your show. Many of the candidates in those races were being pummeled with advertising, lying about their stance on abortion, and they did not respond. And if you do not respond, a lie becomes the truth. 
Our candidates need to be conversant and able to get on TV and articulate where they stand on abortion and talk about other things. But if a lie is coming against you to the tune of $30 million and you sit silent, that lie becomes the truth. I've been saying this since before 2022. Many of the consultants in our party are saying, don't talk about it, ignore it. If you watch the Virginia ads, it was abortion, abortion by the Democrats, crime, crime from, from the Republicans. And we're going to need to talk about this issue because women across this country care about this issue. I know this because I'm a suburban woman. What was interesting about Virginia was that the governor, Glenn Youngkin, tried to do what you're describing right now. Talk about it in a way that uh, he thought would be more reasonable for suburban women, uh, having limits on abortion but not an outright ban. And it didn't work. But there wasn't a lot of TV on that. If you look at the numbers, you've got to put a lot of money behind your message to let the voters know where you stand. If, if I were running, I would say, listen, the Democrats are going to try and define me. Let me tell you where I stand. I'm, I'm pro-life, but I do think we should have common sense limitations when a baby feels pain. And we should talk about that as a country. Where do the Democrats stand? What is their exception? When is their point that they won't have an abortion? Gender selection, nine months. We need to have this conversation. But let me tell you it for me instead of from the Democrats. That did not happen in many of these races. Define yourself before the Democrats define you. You need money to and do you that. you need money to do that. They, money was not an issue in Virginia. So then what happened? It's a choice as to how you advertise. And I am saying this as a suburban woman, one of the few in leadership in our party that's been saying this for two years. We have to address this issue. And you can't just ignore it and think you can run crime ads and ignore this issue. One last question. Uh, the person not here is yeah. the one t uh, polling far and ahead away from anybody else who is on the debate stage. Um, do you have any indication that he will show up at any of the debates that you put on? I don't. Uh, you know, President Trump, as the former president, is, is leading very, very well in the polls. And he feels like he shouldn't have to come debate, and that's part of his strategy. Uh, but I know he will debate. Uh, the Democrat, uh, Joe Biden, if he's the nominee, he's open to debates. He's never been afraid of debates, but that's part of what his strategy has been through this primary process. Thank you, Ron. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thanks for having me, Dana. Thank you. And up next, Daniel Dale is back with another fact check on the candidates, namely, and to the point of Anderson's conversation with the panel a moment ago, Governor DeSantis accusing President Biden of being soft on anti-Semitism. Welcome back with the third Republican debate now done and dusted. CNN fact checker Daniel Dale has been looking carefully at what the candidates said. In this case, what Ron DeSantis said on stage about President Biden's response to anti-Semitism in the country. Uh, Daniel, here's what Governor DeSantis said. And what is Biden doing? Not only is he not helping the Jewish students who are being persecuted, he is launching an initiative to combat so-called Islamophobia. No, it's the anti-Semitism that's spiraling out of control. Sorry. So what are the facts on that remark? 
Anderson, this claim is highly misleading in a couple of ways. Number one, let's note the governor's use of the phrase so-called Islamophobia. Islamophobia, hatred of fear of suspicion of Muslims, is not a so-called. It is a very real thing that people in this country have been killed over, including recently, unfortunately. It very much exists. Number two, the governor's clear suggestion here is that the president, the Biden administration, is only addressing Islamophobia and not anti-Semitism at all. And that's just not true. Uh, while the Biden administration did announce last week that it is developing a national strategy to counter Islamophobia, Biden's White House had already released its national strategy to combat anti-Semitism months ago, Anderson, in May. And this week, Biden's education department issued guidance reminding schools that they have a legal obligation to address incidents of both Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. In addition, we know that President Biden himself has repeatedly denounced anti-Semitism, both in the wake of this Hamas attack in October and for years before. A quick Google search I did this evening brought up numerous examples dating back years. So the pretty inflammatory suggestion here that Biden is ignoring Jews in this fraught moment in favor of Muslims after the attack is just not correct. All right. Dana Dale, thanks very much. Let's go back to Dana. Thanks, Anderson. Joining me now here in uh, the spin room is CNN chief national affairs correspondent Jeff Zeleny, who has spent a lot of time on the campaign trail with these candidates. What was your takeaway? Look, I think the takeaway is that uh, you can really feel the urgency in the arguments of the candidates. I don't know that anything particularly happened tonight that is going to uh, suddenly uh, you know, cause an awakening with an Iowa or New Hampshire voter that, uh, boy, I'm going to go with this person. But you can sort of see the race contracting. Five candidates on stage. By the time the next debate happens, probably even fewer. So this really is narrowing. This is considerably different than the race uh, in 2015-16. It is narrowing. But the biggest takeaways are that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are still in each other's way to be the leading alternative to Donald Trump. And I think they each had some moments tonight. I'm not sure the voters are following specifically the ins and outs of the China debate. It seemed a little bit in the weeds here. But I do think some um, things that may linger are the abortion discussion. You know, uh, I what we were talking about it before I interviewed Tim Scott uh, about what happened with Ron DeSantis towards the end of the debate, where he was talking about the fact that Republicans, well, people who are for uh, against abortion rights, have lost in referenda all over the country. Seven of them now, in a very big way. And he blamed the what he called the pro-life movement. Tim Scott, in in Tim Scott's way, <laughs> pushed back on that a bit. You think that's going to maybe hurt DeSantis in Iowa? It'll be interesting to see how this is sort of um, uh, distilled, because obviously Tim Scott is going after the evangelical vote, mm -hmm. as is Ron DeSantis. And there's a pretty big forum in, uh, in it's next week, actually, the week before Thanksgiving in Iowa, the Iowa Family Leader, uh, which is a very influential evangelical group, uh, is having all the candidates in. So we'll see if that... Um, sort of echoes and resonates. It might. But the bottom line, I think also the position that Nikki Haley has looking for a consensus, you heard the applause in the audience for that. So she's been able to walk this line mm -hmm. on abortion. Uh, she, you know, says she's pro-life in her words, but she calls for consensus. And there is an appetite for that. So if she's going to suburban voters. I think that's pretty important. But again, this is a bit of a cop-out. I think we have to say, though, the winner of this debate and certainly the person commanding lead of this race mm -hmm. was not here tonight. No. 
he was down the road in Hialeah. Yeah, and, and Ronan McDaniel just told me, well, she doesn't expect him to come to any of the primary debates uh, at all. And, but she does expect him, if he is the nominee, to go to the general election debate. But we'll, we'll see if that happens. I mean, it's hard to make that argument, right? If you're Donald Trump, like, why should uh, his opponent, if it's Joe Biden, um, which we think it will, obviously, why should he debate him if Donald Trump didn't do these debates? But I'm wondering how Iowa and New Hampshire voters will react to that. They are used to seeing the candidates debate. So uh, we'll see if he ends up getting in, uh, perhaps, for that final debate. Um, he's not been scrutinized or seen as much as some of these candidates. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, he's having this uh, rally not too far from here in a really, really um, heavily Latino uh, area, which is very noteworthy. I mean, it's s South Florida. Uh, right. and so it's very, very specific when you're looking at that sector. But that is... At this point, Donald Trump is already thinking about the kinds of of groups that he needs for a new coalition in 2024 in the general election in places like Arizona, in places uh, even in, in Georgia and in Wisconsin. That's definitely where the mindset is uh, for Donald Trump, even as you're seeing his competitors continue to, to debate on stages like tonight without him. Without a doubt. He is looking ahead to the general election, but he's also, I'm told, still keeping a focus on Iowa. He's going to be going back there in November and December mm -hmm. a lot. He's keeping his foot on the gas and likely on the throat of some of his rivals so they don't sort of emerge around him here. So, again, a little over two months before the voting begins. Uh, time is running short for some of them to uh, really emerge. But there are still open minds out there. I know it's hard to believe sometimes, but there mm -hmm. are still uh, people who are are eager to move on from Trump. They're just not sure who to. Um, but we've learned a lot this week about what uh, the next year will bring in terms of abortion politics and other matters. So let's not get ahead of things. No. Nope. That's always your mantra, and I'm with you on that. <laughs> thanks, Chef. Anderson, back you to bet. you. Donna, thanks so much. Prior to tonight's debate, Ivanka Trump was the final witness in the New York civil fraud case against her father and her brothers, Don Jr. and Eric. Next, what she said in court today. Just before the debate and the former president's rally this evening, the final member of his family testified in a New York courtroom. We'll talk more about the effect his larger legal troubles might have on the race in a moment. In her testimony today, Ivanka Trump distanced herself from the financial documents at the center of a civil fraud case that once counted her as a defendant. The state attorney general has now rested a case that could potentially upend the business empire that forms a cornerstone of the former president's identity. Kara Scannell was at court today. Has more on Ivanka Trump's testimony. Anderson, one thing that was noticeable was Ivanka Trump's demeanor. She was composed, she was polite. That was in stark contrast to her father's testimony on Monday, where he was combative. Now, the focus of the attorney general's questioning to her had to do with her involvement in a couple of loans. She was involved in the loan for Doral, the golf course in Miami, as well as the old post office building in Washington, D.C. The questions that she was faced with involved references to emails, where she has seen that they had passed the financial statements onto the bank in order to get these loans. So she was asked questions about that because the allegation in this case is that these statements were fraudulent and that they received, the Trump Organization received better interest rates on those loans. So Ivanka Trump acknowledged that she was involved in these discussions at a high level, but she said she didn't really get herself involved in the nitty gritty details of the loan specifics, including a personal guarantee that her father had given on the loans. And now also 
she was questioned about specifically the old post office building. That was a deal that she was heavily involved in negotiating. And there was evidence shown today, a document indicating that the federal government had had called out that the Trump organization had um, deviated from accounting rules on the financial statements. Now, she was asked about that and whether it came up during a meeting that she attended in Washington, D.C. with her father uh, over this deal and asked if those financial statement irregularities came up. She testified that she didn't recall them coming up, and she said that the focus of that meeting was about her vision. She was also asked about her apartment that she has in Manhattan uh, uh, on Park Avenue, and she had a purchase option to buy that apartment for $8.5 million. Now, she was shown evidence that the former president had put on his financial statements that that same apartment could be sold and was worth $20 million, so about twice as much. She was asked about that, and she testified that she had no knowledge of his father's financial statements, had no idea what went into or out of them. Another consistent line, similar to what her brothers, Don Jr. and Eric Trump, had previously testified to, that they were not involved in the financial statements at the center of this case. Now, after her testimony concluded, the New York Attorney General's office rested their case. Here's what the New York Attorney General said outside of court. At the end of the day, uh, this case is about fraudulent statements of financial condition that she benefited from. She was enriched. And clearly, you cannot distance yourself from that fact. Um, the documents do not lie. The numbers do not lie. Trump's team is expected to present their defense beginning on Monday. They've signaled they're going to call back possibly Donald Jr. and Eric Trump, as well as some bankers who would testify that they were not misled by these financial statements. They say their defense could go until the middle of next month. Anderson? Karis thanks so much. Back to the panel. We heard two of the people in Gary Tuckman's uh, Iowa vote yeah. group say they were worried about Trump's legal yeah. entanglement. Do you think it's going to be a factor? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the uh, that, that's the, the ultimate question, right? When I was listening to the, the, the panel, those verbatims, um, I was hoping that, uh, you know, Jason Miller and Susie Wiles are paying attention as well and getting out in Iowa and kind of disabusing the folks that he cannot run. That there's some sort of 14th Amendment issue, um, uh, you know, because he can run, right? But but these people clearly are concerned that he can't. And you heard somebody say, one of the gentlemen said, well, I like DeSantis as a backup, right? And so that's the I, that's the kind of the theory of the case, that we're going to be there as a backup. And, you know, <clears throat> Hemingway once said, you know, how do you go bankrupt slowly than all at once? And then you know, that's their theory, I think, I suppose, is that, you know, this, this, this kind of um, momentum will build against Trump and then it'll collapse and they'll be they'll be there to kind of take over. Um, maybe it's real, maybe it's not, but I know that's what Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are counting on. Well, yes. the, the, go ahead. Six percent of um, primary voters in the New York Times poll who were pro-Trump um, said they could conceivably change their minds as, if he were convicted in any of these cases. And I think that's kind of a large number to think about. And um, and I think it is of some concern as you hear these people yeah. in this focus group tonight. And I think it's going to be a question of whether he really is convicted, or convicted. by a jury. You heard that guy said if he gets convicted. Maybe yeah. not so much by a judge here, but by a jury. You know what? I, I, I saw that number and I yeah. think it's a really valid point. But I just... How many times have we said mm. he'll oh. never get no, away with that? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, exactly. and you know exactly what's going to happen, because if the conviction comes, it's going to come in this trial in right. New York. Mm -hmm. And he's going to say, yeah. That's know, when we were young and naive. Exactly. <laughs> you know, black judge. That's when we were wearing ties all year. <laughs> you know, he's, gonna, he's going to up. depict it. You heard uh, uh, what was said earlier about what he said at this rally in Florida. You know, this is like 
Cuba, you know, this right, is yeah. a political prosecution yeah. like there's in Cuba. Well, you, whatever you think about Donald Trump, and I've got plenty of thoughts about Donald <laughs> Trump, what you cannot deny is this feral genius he has for uh, branding and for, uh, uh, you know, spinning and, and framing uh, his situation. I mean, the fact that 60 to 70 percent of Republicans believe the last election was stolen in some way, despite all the evidence to the contrary, the fact that so many believe these prosecutions are politically motivated speaks to his ability to do that. So I, I believe that number, but I just want, when yeah, the reality yeah, hits, I, I want to see how that goes. The reality is also that the court calendar makes it incredibly unlikely that in yeah. the most important cases, those would even be rectified ahead of the election, just with an appeals process. The DOJ documents case, I mean, that could get punted into the year after the election. So the likelihood that number did stand out to me yeah. of the six. What's the Jack Smith case? But I likely don't right. think that we'll see that before the election. But even so, um, th- what stood out to me in that focus group was the just general confusion from voters. Will he not be on the ballot if he's indicted? Um, you right. know, there, well, that's, my, the that's what I said. I hope the campaign's paying attention. That that would yeah. be a glaring sign. What they didn't say the is what they didn't say is I would be so disappointed in him if he were convicted of a of of uh, no, you know I trying to overturn a free and fair election <laughs> that I couldn't possibly <clears throat> vote for him that's not what they were saying they were saying they were worried about technical glitches if he were if he if he couldn't be on the ballot we yeah. need somebody else but these are but these are valid concerns we've seen borne out in other polls about you know a lot of republicans say if he is convicted of a felony that I, I will not vote for him in a general election that's that's what they say and that's where they i, I think there's a fair number that won't and it doesn't take that many mm-hmm. i mean these races are close and you and remember, remember where we start. He got 46% of the vote in 16 and got fewer votes than Hillary Clinton. He got 46% of the vote in 2020 and got fewer votes than Joe Biden. We've been wiped in 18. We've been wiped in 22. We took a bath yesterday in some places. You're making me happy. And, and, <laughs> yeah, but- and, 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 and that's, before, mm-hmm. that's before a jury may convict him. I don't think this New York case is actually a big deal at all. But a uh, criminal, yeah, but, uh, yeah, a criminal. Scott, other than twenty, criminal he was conviction. not on the ballot. Donald Trump was not on the ballot. Any you, of don't those think, cases. you don't no, think? You don't think the, in, the no. independence lab? We sat at this I, table, I, I, you and me. I, I, we watched, We looked yep. at the exit polls, yep. and they said three things. In I don't tw- like twenty. I, and twenty-two. Yeah, I don't like Biden. His policies are not helping the country, and I intend to vote Democrat until Donald Trump goes away. That was in twenty-two. That yep. was in twenty-two, yep. and so. They're here again, and I reckon they'll be here again next year. So what explains every national poll since then that has Donald Trump on the rise? Those same people, and I'll tell you what I think it is. It's it's the Joe Bidenism. Don't judge me against the almighty. Judge me against the alternative. If people are looking at Donald Trump and saying, he's pretty bad, I think that way. But boy, Biden-Harris is so much worse. I think it's that Donald Trump has largely been off the campaign trail in a way that he's nationally in front of us. He's in front of us in the courtroom. I think when it starts to look more like a general election and you're reminded what Biden's message is, what he's telling people and what Donald Trump is and what a lot of the second term looks like when he's talking more about throwing General Milley in jail than he is about dealing with the border. That's when I think those numbers might start to slip. Donald Trump's biggest asset that he could have is if he shuts up, doesn't truth, doesn't say crazy things. That's when his numbers tick up. Well, that's, the one, that's the one that Abby Phillip made yeah. earlier, which is once, you know, if he gets on the campaign trail and people are start to pay attention and the stuff he's saying, people will see what a second a second term for him would look but like. He, but he but gets the, same, he gets the same amount. He gets the same percentage every time he's on a ballot. 
But people, they, those people are not going anywhere. But it's yeah. not. The it's question not, is, is it enough? It's one time it was, one time it was. Well, that's where the third party yeah. candidates right. comes uh, may factor into this race. I mean, he has a high floor and a low ceiling. Right. Uh, but if the ceiling is lowered because there are right. multiple candidates in the race, I think it becomes a different it, issue. It also is an issue of how he's covered. Uh, you know, he hasn't been on the air, as Abby was saying earlier, and you were saying, Alyssa, that um, we're not taking his speech tonight in in Florida. Um, some networks might, but we're we're not covering every rally like he yeah, used right, to be yeah, covered. Right, 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 right now, he, I, I, and he's not on and he's not on Twitter or mm-hmm. X. He's on truth. He's on truth. But, but, yeah, but where is he expanding? And, as we said. Yeah. You know, so so they're not being exposed to him the way they were. No, no. But new people are being exposed to him who like that, who yeah. like the message. Right. Yeah, we just saw in this poll. African-American men, Hispanics, right? He's growing in different different parts of the pie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think that um, something's happening out there right now because, exactly as you're saying, he's not being seen giving speeches. He's being seen as a a martyr in court. Mm. And I think that's that's starting to create some sympathies in strange places. You saw the polling data that shows black men split 50-50 Trump-Biden. So right now, his strategy is paying off. I'm a victim. I'm a martyr. He's picking up. I think when he does start talking about the stuff that you're talking about and speaking about what he's going to do as president, some of the stuff may change. But right now, his legal strategy is working for him politically. It yeah. is. Good news, because he's going to be in court a lot. <laughs> uh, everybody, thank you for joining us this evening. Just ahead, uh, analysis of what the candidates had to say about uh, Israel's war against Hamas. With Israel's military now standing in what it calls the heart of Gaza City, more than a month after the October 7th attacks, tonight's debate moderators got to the question of Israel and Hamas early in the evening. Here's Ron DeSantis and what he would say to Israel. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country, that Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media, I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. Joining us now with Perspective, Barack Ravid, political and foreign policy reporter at Axios. It sounds sounds like Netanyahu gets more support on that stage than some people in Israel have for him. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's completely true, uh, Anderson. But uh, you know, when um, when you're a candidate uh, in a primary, you can really say whatever you want. You have no responsibility, and especially when you're a candidate, that uh, you know, we have to be honest. Uh, all of the five people we saw on stage today are not really going to be the Republican nominee for uh, the presidential race. So you know, they can say whatever they want. How important is the outcome of the U.S. presidential race to Israel's war against Hamas? Uh, well, this is going to be a long, uh, a long war, even if it doesn't, if it's not going to look the way it looks right now. So I think that whoever uh, is going to be uh, at the White Ho- in the White House in January 2025 is going to be very important to what's going on on the ground in Israel, especially because there will be a day after. Uh, and at least Israel, the Israeli government doesn't have a plan at the moment. And whoever's going to be the president would want to know 
what's going to happen after the war. So now it's going to be Joe Biden, but maybe in January 2025, it's somebody else. And even if it's somebody else, he would want to know what's going on in Gaza, too. What are you hearing from sources about uh, any plan? I mean, the Prime Minister Netanyahu said Israel is going to have, quote, overall security responsibility, end quote, in Gaza for, quote, indefinite period. But uh, I mean, what does that mean? Are they talking about the Palestinian Authority getting trying to get the Palestinian Authority? Because they've already said that they won't come in riding on, you know, Israeli tanks to take over Gaza. Well, you know, Anderson, we started with the Republican uh, uh, primary and we're now going to what's going to happen in Israeli politics after this war. Because I don't think that whoever is in power in Israel right now, especially Prime Minister Netanyahu, will be the one that will uh, call the shots about what's going to happen the day after the war. Uh, it is very clear. You don't think he can survive that, this politically, me, given the failures of, of the led up to October 7? I, I think if, we look, if you look at Israeli history, uh, you can see what happened after the uh, 1973 war, even if it took some time. Uh, you can see what happened after the first intifada with the Likud uh, uh, lost to Itzhak Rabin and the Labour Party. You can see what happened after the second intifada when the Labour Party lost to Likud. And I, usually after those things, and especially when it comes to, you know, really one of the biggest, if not the biggest trauma in the history of Israel, I, I just cannot see how this thing does not lead to an early election and a new government within the next, I don't know, six months. Do you, I mean, does Israel have any kind of exit plan for, for the war besides, uh, I don't know if it's a reoccupation, I mean, I don't know what overall security means other than, is it Israeli no. troops on the ground? I think what it means right now uh, is that uh, Netanyahu would want to see in Gaza a similar situation as you see in the West Bank, meaning that even if uh, you're not going to keep uh, tens of thousands of soldiers inside the Gaza Strip, Israel will, it will not be, the situation will not be like you had on October 6th, that there's like a ceasefire and nobody's doing anything. There will be, if Israel will see a security threat, it will uh, strike it from the air or it will go on a, on a ground uh, raid during the night. As, again, the same way as you see in the West Bank in recent years. And the total defeat of Hamas, can that be measured? I mean, there's a lot of people who can kind of just fade into the, you know, into the civilian population, no? Uh, yeah, but I think that it's, it's when, when Netanyahu says the, the, the destruction of Hamas, I think it means first uh, Hamas's military capability to uh, threat uh, Israeli uh, towns and villages on the border, and with rocket fire to other parts of Israel. I think that's the number one thing. Second thing is Hamas's leadership, that I think that the Israeli military and the Israeli leadership wants to see those people dead uh, uh, after this war. So I think that those two things are pretty measurable. Mm. Uh, and uh, obviously Hamas is not going to disappear. It's a political movement. It's an ideology. But the question is whether it's military capability will disappear on the day after the war. Barack Ravid, thank you. Always good to talk to you. Appreciate it. News continues here on CNN Next. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.